Shut up and sit down. Tonight is our night to send a message to everyone in the league. We take three points here and we go up. This is the 90 Plus Podcast, part of the Sports Talk Line Network. It's okay in two weeks because tonight we're getting so drunk that tomorrow we're not going to be able to play. Now, here are your hosts, Ben Rigetti and Joshua Griffith. Episode 60 of the 90 Plus Podcast. It's a beautiful sunny Tuesday here in Vancouver and Vancouver Island. I am your host, Ben Rigetti, joined as always by my wonderful co-host on Vancouver Island, Joshua Griffith. This is the 90 Plus Podcast brought to you guys by Sports Talk Line, where we talk everything Whitecaps. And we've kind of changed that a little bit today. I think this is the most non-Whitecap focused episode we've ever done out of 60 episodes. We've got Peter Galindo coming on from Sportsnet and Northern Football. He'll be on in just a minute here if you stay tuned with us to chat everything going on around the Canadian men's national team. Obviously, it's been a big and successful window so far. You guys may be listening to this Tuesday night or Wednesday or later down the line. Canada's playing in El Salvador on Wednesday night, so hopefully you guys are able to have a listen to this before then, uh, with a chance to qualify for the World Cup. By the time you listen to this, Canada may be have its ticket booked to Qatar. But before we get into all that and we bring on Peter, uh, I would, of course, be remorse if I didn't bring on my good friend and your co-host, Joshua Griffith. Josh, how you doing, buddy? Man, I'm excited. You know, you mentioned this is a white cap centric podcast. We had to switch it up a little bit this week. I think everyone's focus, the excitement is on the Canada men's and national team. We're looking at qualifying for Qatar in the World Cup for 2022. And I think that that, that kind of took a little bit of precedent over white caps training camp, but we are still going to get into some white caps news. We asked Peter about his thoughts on the Maxine Maxime Maxime <laughs> the Maxime Cropo trade and uh, a couple other MLS centered things. So I'm really excited uh, to get on with that with the, the conversation with Peter and uh, and then we'll get into uh, a little bit more white caps conversation after. Absolutely. Somewhat of a quiet week for the, the Whitecaps training camp before they head down to San Diego in a few days time. But uh, before we get into everything covering Whitecaps, myself, Josh and Peter Galindo from Sportsnet and Northern Football talking everything Canadian men's footy. Check it out. <laughs> All right, we are back, me and Josh. We are joined by the second time he's making his appearance on this show. He was here episode 49, now episode 60. He's making his return to talk all things Canadian footy. We've got Sportsnet and Northern Football's Peter Galindo. Peter, all the way on the East Coast, how are you doing today? Doing well, guys. Pleasure to be back on. We were excited to have Thomas, uh, your your co-host on Northern Football, but Business gets in the way sometimes and business, you know, <laughs> in air quotes. Yeah. yeah. He's your co-host, not mine. So I won't go too far into it, at least on air, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So obviously it's been a, a very busy few days of the, uh, the American game, the Honduras game, just, you know, I was only what Thursday and we've uh, 
we're recording this on Tuesday, so hopefully we can get a bit of shelf life before uh, the game tomorrow against El Salvador. But busy few, you know, week and a half or so for everything kind of surrounding the national team. It's just been a whirlwind. And we'll, we'll start off going to, to Peter here. Just we've seen, especially after the result uh, on Sunday, how everyone has just gotten so swept up with this story of this mm-hmm. Canadian team. Hundred percent, and that was the biggest focus of the post-match of Ailes in Hamilton. Was you know, and, and I know we've talked about this so many times, probably since they got the point at the Azteca in October, and, and it's just been a constant theme of how incredible is this? How are you guys doing this? How does it feel? All that stuff, right? And it, it's almost getting repetitive, but we also need to realize just how incredible this run has been because. I think to anyone who has followed this program for any length of time before 2021, you're expecting the other shoe to drop. You're expecting something negative on the pitch, that is, because they've dealt with some adversity the last few months to happen and to set them back and for them to finally get that first defeat. And it never happens. And the more wins and and draws they keep accumulating, the more incredible it is. Um, And now they're at a point where if results go their way and they beat El Salvador on Wednesday, we're talking about a team securing its first world cup berth in 36 years with three games in hand. And based on our expectations before the Ocho, that would have seemed unfathomable really. Well, you know, Peter, you mentioned the waiting for the shoe drop for the Canada men's national team. And I think that some of us were kind of looking at the Honduras game and and saying, okay, this is where the shoe might drop and things might get a little bit tough for Canada, but they they just powered through it and they showed why maybe they have turned the corner in CONCACAF. Exactly. And it's the mental resolve, really. And you can point to a number of games in that regard, but if you want to use the most recent example and probably the the the, the most important, but also the, the last sort of tick that they needed to, to check off, it was winning in San Pedro Sula. That was one of the last things they had to do in this cycle to really put an exclamation point on this amazing turnaround that they've experienced over the last year. Um, Cause you look at the gold cup. Um, they got to their first semifinal in 14 years. They show that they could overcome some adversity and adjust in game, which has always been an issue for them under Herdman. And before that um, they exercise the, the demons against Haiti from the 2019 gold cup quarterfinals, of course, um, and then in the Ocho, they got some very big results, as I already touched on. It was just winning in Central America. Can they go there where Canada's always traditionally struggled, especially in Honduras? And they did. And they did so, I, I wouldn't say resoundingly, but the, it was a professional performance. They got the early goal that they needed, which I think settled them down. And from there, yes, they conceded maybe a few more shots than they wanted to, but Milan Borian stood up to the task. The back three remained very composed, just as they have been for most of this cycle. And once again, they showed the mental resolve that has really gotten them to this point. And once again, just like in my first point, that can't be understated enough. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of people had this specific window circled as if we're really going to prove ourselves and if we are actually going to do this, this is the window where I don't think anyone would have expected the previous three, four windows to have gone as successfully as they have. But I think this was the window everyone was looking at and saying, 
if it were to fall apart, it would be here. And if it were to come through a resounding success, a crowning achievement, it would be in this window. It was that Honduras game. It was welcoming the Americans in and beating them on our home turf in front of, you know, what was only an electric atmosphere. It looked like, at least on the TV yeah. uh, in Hamilton. And uh, I kind of thought of this point that even if so, we don't get the full three on uh, Wednesday or tomorrow in, uh, in El Salvador, if you said that you're coming out of this window taking seven out of nine points, anyone would have taken that. But yeah. there's something about, I feel like, like you said, conquering those demons and the fact that we went into Honduras and won and the fact that we beat the Americans, we didn't just tie and they say, oh, you haven't beaten us. And we went like how we, it was a one, one draw when we went down there. It's mm-hmm. something about the teams that we've played and the results that we've gotten that almost makes it feel more successful than just six points so far. Well, that's it because the entire discussion before the window started was how are they going to cope without Davies? How are they going to cope without Ostakio? Which you can understand if one of those two guys is missing, okay, then I think they should be fine. But both of them, given how crucial to the team they are, that made a lot of people nervous. And when we threw out a poll for Northern football asking, what is your expectation for this window in terms of points? The majority of people still said four to six, which I think probably would have been what people would have pinpointed with one or both of those guys available. But then I noticed a lot of comments saying, you know what, honestly, I'd be happy with two or three, given how difficult these fixtures can be. And now they have six, <laughs> they have double that, that amount already with one game to go. Um, but it, it really speaks to the, the, the next man up mentality that Herdman has talked about. The players have talked about the, the brotherhood that they like to talk about Um And just in terms of big picture guys, if I ever get the chance or Thomas and I ever get the chance or any of us really ever get the chance to speak to John Herdman on any show or podcast platform, one of the first questions I'll ask him is, how have you been able to instill this sort of cliche, by the way, I know, but culture within this national team that you only really see with select clubs across the globe? Because when you look at things like establishing a tactical identity, establishing a culture, getting that, that chemistry both on and off the pitch, that only really happens at club level because you're around your teammates every day. You're around your coaches every day, training with them, playing with them. You see them more than your own family in a lot of cases. So for them to be able to do this on a national team scale where you're only playing every month or two, training a few times every window, um, and seeing each other only a couple times every couple of months, it, it really is astounding how how in sync this entire team is. Um, and, and they are really one of the only teams on the globe, you can honestly say, that have that sort of culture within their national team, which is which is crazy. You, you speak of culture, Peter, and I think it goes back to what John Herman did with the Canadian women's national team, because we saw all that success under Beth Priestley. And they, you know, they won an Olympic gold medal. They basically, they hit the top of the standards for women's national soccer. It was amazing to see. But you, you saw the blueprint that he kind of laid out for years in the past. And now we're kind of seeing it with the Canadian men's national team. Do you, do you think that he that was something that he took going into this was like, Oh, I've already kind of done this at at a really high level 
I think that I'm going to be able to take my influences and deliver them to the Canadian men's team and to some of these higher standard players that the, the Canadian women's teams have, have seen for years. I think so. Absolutely. Um, because you look at just how tenacious they are off the ball. J- Jonathan David is tracking back 50, 60 yards to, to stop an onrushing American fullback 20, 30 yards from goal. He started at midfield on the other side of the pitch and, and there he is, you know, rushing after a ball in the 88th, 89th minute, making sure that there's no space to go through. Now, David is a unique player in that way, but everybody's doing it um, in every position. No one is, is being selfish on the pitch. And that was also one of the things that I think really deterred their progress as recently as a couple of years ago. If you look at that Gold Cup quarterfinal loss to Haiti, the 4-1 defeat to the U.S. in November 2019, one of their biggest issues was just having that overall responsibility and and kind of, I I use this term kind of loosely because it might sound a bit harsh, but playing for each other and making sure that all your responsibilities are met. You didn't see that. Um, I think now that they've had more time together as they've gotten a little more quality in different areas of the pitch, I think you're now seeing the confidence grow and they almost needed like one or two results to kind of break that, that mental slump. Um, and, and you see it across sports all the time, right? Once a team gets over the hump, nothing can stop them in a lot of cases. And I think that was the case for this national team. And I think a, a big reason why we kind of, you know, you mentioned there getting over the hump and getting past the hurdles and everything like that is how, you know, you look at the average age of these Canadian players, you know, two thirds of the team is going to be under the age of 25, 26. They weren't, most of them weren't even on the roster that were in that Haiti uh, loss. Most of them weren't on the roster at all when they, uh, or even, you know, a fair ways off the, the national team system when they, uh, we had that eight, one loss to Honduras and going, you know, all, all way back. You, we talk about this and in the media and, you know, as the, as fans and everything we watch on TV and we dread it, but for them, they had, you know, no role in those games. They had no say in the, how the outcomes of those games played out and the his, the last 15 or, you know, the last 36 years of Canadian football in this country, you know, they haven't had much of a say on that apart from the last, you know, two, three years. So that's got, when you're talking about confidence, you know, at least on the national stage, this specific crop of youngsters, they've never really been deterred and kind of faced you know, the, the highest levels that the, you know, the last 15, 20 years of Canadian soccer has had to face and deal with. So they're not necessarily naive, but almost that way of we've never been here before. That also means we've never lost here before. We've never, you know, suffered negative setbacks and these humiliating defeats. This is a brand, you know, it's a clean slate in a sense for this group of youngsters. 100%. And I think John Herman actually, after the the U.S. game was asked about, you know, does it bother you or irk you that all this historical context is being put on your shoulders when you've only been here for three years and when a lot of these players have been here for even an even less amount of time than that, right? And he did admit that, yeah, it it is, and I'm paraphrasing here, he didn't say this exact term, but he he did say it it is a little ridiculous. Um, And it's true, it is. Um, but he tries to use that as a positive to basically tell the group, listen, 
you guys can do something really special here. You guys can, can rewrite the history books. You guys can, can do something really, really great in this country for this sport. And you see that they're embracing that challenge. Um, so you, you make good points, Ben, 100%. Um, and you, you even look in the future, as you touched on, there are a lot of players coming through that haven't committed to the national team yet, even if you just look at some dual nationals, right? Like Daniel Jebison, Stefan Mitrovic, Lukas Diaz. Um, not all of these guys will commit because that's just the nature of the beast. When you live in a multicultural country like Canada, certain guys will have different allegiances, different family pressures, right? Um, but if you can get a couple of these guys in for Nations League in June and maybe start to look a little bit further ahead to 2026, then it could have even bigger ramifications for this. And even guys who are still kind of on the fringes, like, you know, for example, Harry Payton, Joel Waterman, who Alistair Johnston on Northern football actually pegged as a under the radar player to watch based on what he's seen of him in preseason so far in Montreal. So that could be something to watch. The, the depth is only going to get greater for this team. Um, and, and that does have really positive ramifications for them over the next few years here. And we'll kind of start getting a, a little tactical here and looking at some more player-specific performances rather than the, the big picture, which I'm sure by now most of the, at least most of our listeners are, you know, familiar with the, the scene and the scenario of go everything and all the noise that's going on in this country right now. Um, we mentioned earlier Noah Stachio. Uh, Atiba Hutchison played the full 90 minutes uh, over in Honduras. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Anthony Kay and Osorio in the midfield against the U.S., I think to some extent a surprise. I knew obviously we're going to be a, a see a rather a bit of a switch up, but I don't I think very few people have pegged that specific pairing to mm-hmm. be the two midfield players, at least in the, the middle of the park. And you know, for the most part, you you could say that the Americans kind of had the middle of the field a little bit. Um, what did you make of that partnership and kind of going forward? I know, especially with the, the game tomorrow, do you think Maybe not that specific partnership moving forward, but generally like the Mark Antony K and the the lone holding mid role. What did you see out of those two? Well, as for the game itself, um, you're right. It was a little surprising. Those two guys have played together before as part of a trio, of course. So it's not Mm -hmm. like they're unfamiliar playing together and they, you know, played together when they were younger as well. Um, But in terms of the actual game, when you saw the lineups for both sides, my automatic assumption was, okay, they're very clearly at a numerical disadvantage here. They're at a fitness disadvantage based on the fact that Adams, McKenney, and Musa are all in midseason form in Europe and Osorio and Kay are either just starting their preseasons or are, you know, maybe only a week or two into it. That's going to be a disadvantage. So there are a couple different things that I kind of pegged before the game as maybe being able to mask that disadvantage. And one of them was Richie Larea possibly pinching inside more to cover the right half space. That didn't end up happening. He was actually quite active going up and down and he was actually forming at times um, whenever Canada was in possession, kind of a front five of sorts. You'd have the front two of Laren and David. Larea would be furthest up on the right. Uh, Osorio would kind of join them as well. And then you'd have Tejon Buchanan occupying the left. And then the, the rest of the team was just kind of staying back to provide some cover. And I thought defensively that duo was really responsible. They were quite efficient. Um, You have to give them that. On the ball, you could definitely tell they were lacking match fitness, 100%. 
There were some passes that Kay would make in his sleep if he was two or three months into his season with Colorado that he just wasn't hitting in the game. And that led to some pretty dangerous turnovers. Um, but as, as really committed Canada was to making sure that the half spaces were closed, which Herdman pinpointed as a, as a possible area of concern for Canada, um, there were times where the U.S., and I don't know whether this was tactical instructions, if this was them being put off a little bit by just how um, aggressive and committed Canada was off the ball. There were situations in the game where the U.S. would recover possession in their own third or in the middle third, and all they had to do was just receive the ball, turn to go forward, and then hit the ball to the other side of the pitch where Canada was left a little exposed, where there was tons of open space to exploit, and they just didn't take it. Um, and I was really shocked because we in the press box got a really good tactical view of the whole pitch. And I was saying to the people next to me, I'm like, you know, they have all this space here to run into and they're just not taking it. Like, what's going on? Especially considering in the middle of the pitch, they had the advantage. Um, so on one hand, you can definitely credit Canada for covering the spaces when they needed to, for getting back in time and making sure that the U.S. didn't have any clear-cut chances in open play, which they didn't. Um, but at the same time, the U.S. did also shoot themselves in the foot by not capitalizing on those open spaces on the other side and kind of getting their signals crossed at times. In terms of what we could expect from the game in El Salvador, John Herdman did confirm that Stefan Ostakia was rerouted to El Salvador. So he's waiting for the team there, um, which means you would expect him to be available for selection. This could also be more Herdman mind games. We don't know. He tends to like to do this, to, to throw teams off the scent. But I would imagine he'll feature, just given the, the lack of midfield options that they have. Ativa Hutchinson is rested. Those two tend to play together. So I would imagine they're going to be favored to start in some way. Um, I could see Junior Hoylett coming back in because Herdman likes to rely on him a lot pre-injury in October. Um, and he's looked quite good in this window so far. That that Meg against the U.S. was unbelievable against Kevin Acosta. <laughs> that was highlight real stuff. Really awesome to watch. Um, so I could actually see them going with a pivot again, even though El Salvador does like to use three. But Hoylett could almost occupy a similar role that we saw against Honduras and play a little more inside, but then occasionally go to the wing when he's needed as well. It's so interesting, the conversation that we're having right now about all of these different players for the Canada men's national team. You know, Zachary uh, Brogdala was uh, called up and he'll join the team in, in El Salvador just to provide some depth. Obviously, you know, you mentioned Atiba Hutchinson wasn't in the last game. Yellow card accumulation. Uh, Alfonso Davies is, is running <laughs> twitches instead of playing in these games. Yeah. Which have been it, awesome, by the way. I think yes, every yes. Canadian fan out there has loved seeing the highlights that come out whenever Canada scores and yeah. Fonzie is on the mic. It's phenomenal. And, and you, you know, it's just all of this depth, all of the things that Canada is able to do, it, it's just, it's so bright. It's for the people, like it's, <laughs> it, it's crazy to look at like right now. Like I, I keep checking the tables, like I keep refreshing it because I think that Canada is going to go down to the bottom <laughs> and, and like, and I'm just like, no, they're, they're at the top. Yep. Is it, they are. 
Peter and Peter, is this real? I, yeah. we... <laughs> it's it's like I said off the top, Josh. Like it, it it truly is miraculous because you expect something to go wrong at some point on the pitch, and it's just not. And we're thinking to yourself, we're living in an alternate dimension, clearly. Um, like the pandemic just threw everything out of whack, including Canada soccer. They're good now. <laughs> Who would have thought? So looking at, at Canada basketball, we were, you know, looking at everything else Canada could excel at, you know, let me hockey. We're like, oh, we're always good at hockey. And all of a sudden, Canada soccer has just exploded on the scene. Uh, I know I love it. I know Ben love it. Ben loves it. Uh, <laughs> it's a big day. Don't worry, John. There's, there's, a, there's, a, lot, there's a lot going on. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. And you know, this is Tuesday. This time tomorrow will be just before kickoff in a game that could clinch a World Cup spot. Uh, obviously, the the scenario uh, is if they beat El Salvador, Panama lose to Mexico, the U.S. lose to uh, Honduras. I'm not good with maps here, uh, flags, I should say. And then Costa Rica lose. Or I'm looking at uh, Alex's uh, tweet he put out the other day, and <laughs> and then uh, and then Costa Rica lose or draw to Jamaica. Obviously, a lot needs to go right for them to clinch on Wednesday. And as awesome as that would be, we're kind of looking at, you know, when you, you know, and I'm not sure about you, Peter, but I know Josh, you're a big NFL fan. And it starts, so when you start to get to like week 13, 14, right. this team can clinch a playoff spot today mm-hmm. if like every other team loses or like, and like six teams get disqualified, we can qualify yeah. today. And, you know, that's as awesome and, you know, a 99.88% chance to qualify. I think that's the, the latest numbers now. Um, so, you know, even if it's not Wednesday, it, it's the fact, it, I'd almost like it not to be Wednesday because we've got that month long build up or those, you know, however many weeks of build up to, you know, we're playing in like, what's the, the first game back? It's not the Jamaica game, is it? It's Costa Rica away. It's Costa Rica, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's that build up to that Costa Rica game where it's, you know, that we've got time to get everyone's eyes on this game and it would just be awesome. <laughs> it would, I'd love it to be yeah. the, tomorrow, but if it's not, I'm fine with waiting because I think at this point, a lot of Canadian fans know that it is coming. Yeah, and I mean, they're, they're all going to be saying to us, touch on wood, make sure that, you know, you don't jinx yeah. it because you never know, right? It's Canadian soccer at the end of the day. Um, maybe we're not immune. I, I'm touching wood right now. Like, if, you, I, if, you, if, yeah, if this clip isn't going now, I'm, I'm knocking wood on my desk. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it would be amazing if it did happen because, uh, you know, like I said, the, the fact we're even talking about this with three games to go, that they could automatically qualify for the World Cup, be the first team out of CONCACAF to do it, um, would just be remarkable, really. Um, I don't foresee it happening. I think a couple of those results could definitely go Canada's way. I could mm-hmm. definitely see Panama. I mean, Panama probably is going to lose, let's be honest. Um, Costa Rica could maybe slip up, but I mean, they're looking pretty rejuvenated now that they realize, hey, we could actually play New Zealand in a playoff if we can catch Panama. So let's try to go pedal to the metal here. Um, and then I think the U.S. should get the job done against Honduras as maybe unconvincing as they've looked in this window so far, um, despite what Greg Berhalter might say about dominating performances. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> publicly, that is. Maybe yeah. privately, he's saying, guys, that is not good enough. Um, so, I, I mean, half the results I could see definitely going Canada's way. The other half, maybe not so much. But 
it's it's coming down to the wire now, which you know I, I'm sure is getting more and more comforting as the days go by for Canadian fans. Absolutely, you're in the the best spot possible to be, and you know if you've got your entire fate in your hands. You know it's I think back to the the Whitecaps on the decision day last year, trying to get their way into the playoffs, and oh, they need to win or draw, and this team needs to lose, and this team needs to drop points as long as they don't lose by like thirteen and the goal difference and whatever else. It it does get nervous and you know and a little eerie almost at times. You're screen watching, and I was watching the uh, while I was watching the the Rams 49ers games, and I'm sure Josh was very you know focused on i'd like i'd also you know congratulations joshua you've been Thank a you. Thank I, you. I, I i i feel bad that it's taken this long to get into the episode without bringing it up but you know uh credit where credit's due <laughs> good good game yeah good game we'll continue yeah. we'll continue the soccer talk there's so much more uh, we we're joined <laughs> by peter galindo uh, from Sportsnet and the football podcast. And, and you know, we, we only have so much time, and there's things I want to get into. I want to do touch on some MLS okay. as well. As we for the white caps, we've had a very interesting training camp, and I we touched on it a lot last week on the episode. We had basically a goal goaltender centric episode. Goaltender, Josh, goaltender. Oh. <laughs> we, had a, we had a keeper centric episode that's it you're editing this podcast today you're on oh, editing duty okay send it to me uh we had a keeper centric episode and uh we were, we were joined by thomas assault to just you know ask him about what he thought about being the number one keeper and i i would love to get your thoughts about the whole maxine proposed situation and what's happening with the white caps keeper situation as of this moment there we go. Um, it's it, it clearly caught a lot of people by surprise um, because when the training camp roster dropped and the Whitecaps listed Maxime Carpo being out for personal reasons, I think the majority of us said, okay, it's personal reasons. Maybe let's leave it alone. Things will figure mm-hmm. itself out. He'll report to camp because he was the number one. And let's be honest, guys, the best goalkeeper in the league, despite what maybe American media yeah. might say. Um, Thank you. There it is. <laughs> um, so there should be no concern here, but very clearly there was. Um, and even trying to speak to people within the Whitecaps or connected to the situation somehow, you just couldn't get any clarity regarding the issue. And now he's off to LAFC. Yes, the Whitecaps got a pretty good package in return for him, but you are losing one of the teams, if not the team's top performer in mm. the last two years, two or three years. Um, Thomas Assal clearly is very highly regarded by the club. Um, Vanny Sartini's made some positive comments about him. Mark Dos Santos did before he left. Um, and they very clearly trust him. He is very young, especially as a goalkeeper. So that is worth noting here from in terms of what I say next. Um, as a shot stopper, really solid. Um, little things like you know, timing when to come off his line to maybe clear the ball on a ball over the top of his defense and, and no one's there to, to cover that space. Knowing when to come and claim across, when to punch, to just getting that overall confidence. Those are still things he lacks in, but they can come with more minutes and come by playing with this defense a lot more often who will learn his tendencies. He'll learn theirs. Um, but in terms of potential, it's absolutely there. And look, the only way to realize that potential is to play him. 
So they are doing the right thing here by doing that and bringing in a veteran slash guy who has some league experience, maybe not, you know, hundreds of appearances, let's say, but someone who will at least be able to help shoulder the load if he needs it. Something that was that I, you know, he made a very, like Thomas made a very good point of when we had him on last week was, you know, it, he said he's not a new signing. He's played this position before in the league. He's done well at shop stopping. We, everyone fell in love with him at MLS's back. Yep. You know, he's saying nothing's new in terms of him. Nothing's changed. He's just grown and developed. He said he works in his distribution a lot during the offseason. He said that was his number one uh, priority. And he said he's feel like with him and Yusuf Daha, the goalkeeping coach, he said they feel like they've done a very good job at that. And, you know, in, in that regard, he's right. You know, people know what they're going to get from him. He's not as much as a wild card as he was, you know, two years ago back at, down in Orlando. You know, people know him around the facility now. People know his face. You've seen him play. Even last year, he got a, a few games in when Cripo was away for either international or injury reasons. You know, he had a, we, we saw him play a, a few times and, you know, he, he's, he's he made a very good point of, I'm not new around here. You guys know what I can do. It's, you know, nothing has really changed. It's, and like you said earlier in the show, it's, it's just that next man up mentality. Max is gone. Now it's Thomas. And in his, you know, in his mind and realistically, there shouldn't be as much a drop off where I mentioned that we'd see the biggest drop off is that leadership, that experience, that communication, the shot stop purely as a shot stopper. I think he's an excellent keeper. He is. He is. Now, if you look at some of the advanced metrics like post-shot expected goals and whatnot, I mean, Crepeau was untouchable. He was by far the best in that category in the league, which again, how was he not MLS goalkeeper of the year? I'm going to keep harping on this. Um, even even not even in the top three. No, like, yeah. which is ridiculous. <laughs> no, Absolutely ridiculous. Um, but he was very clearly unreachable in that statistic. Thomas Hassall was about league average in that regard. Um now, maybe with more minutes, he ends up showing like, hey, I can actually save you guys some more points. Now, realistically, you probably don't want the Whitecaps conceding as many high quality shots as the ones Cripo saw. And if they're not, then that's actually a step in the right direction. And maybe Hassal doesn't have to be too relied on. But should the time come where he needs to make a crucial save, then I think you can be very confident that he will. No, and that's one of the big issues that the Whitecaps are dealing with this year. If you're looking at everything with the multiple strikers with Brian White, Lucas Cavallini, the Vanny Sartini coaching change, what are what are the biggest issues or the biggest thing that you're looking at for the Whitecaps season and if they can maybe repeat this success that they had at the tail end of last year? I know a lot of people um, who both cover the team and maybe cover them from afar have pointed out the defense, whether it's maybe a little more depth at left wing back, whether it's a little more depth at center back. I personally think the the, the real question mark right now, especially with Janio uh, Bikel on his way out, is what's the midfield going to really look like and how can they upgrade this midfield a little bit? If Caio Alessandro comes back and he is back to the levels he was at at Botafogo, where he was actually quite solid despite them getting relegated before he left for Vancouver, um, then I think it answers quite a few questions. <clears throat> but if you look at when it was Tybert and Owusu in that midfield, 
Some qualities they had were very good, specifically Owusu's ability to almost shuttle the ball forward. Russell Tybert made a lot of improvements in that regard too, getting a little more of a free roll. Um, but defensively and off the ball, they tended to be turnstiles at times. And I think that left the Whitecaps defensively exposed a lot of the time because even if you just look at some of the individual performances of center back, even guys like Jake Nerwinski, who kind of had to learn the position on the fly, they didn't do too badly. Florian Jungfurt was a very good signing and still will be a very good player, I feel, for them. It's the midfield and how it's going to set up because with Bikel now out, that could open up a spot for someone like potentially Michael Baldissimo to lock down a spot, um, who I am a big fan of. Um, now, if he is playing in a pivot, I do have some concerns regarding um, his defensive acumen. Because there are times when he'll dive into tackles a little too aggressively, and if it doesn't come off, then there is tons of space to run into. But on the ball, super, super effective. We all know how good he is at progressing the ball. Um, but, but that, to me, is, is the one area of concern for me, especially because we don't know how Alessandra is going to look after the injury. Um, Owusu and Tybert, I think, are at the very least, solid rotation options, if not borderline starters. Certainly, Owusu can be a starter. Um, from there, it's how does the depth shape up? Because everywhere else, I'm actually pretty confident in the rest of the squad. So we had a big debate just last week about how, in both me and Josh's perfect world, how the midfield situation would look. And... You know, a big thing that Axel Schuster and Vanny Sartini are both saying is that they still view Kyle Alexandre as a new signing. They right. brought in Pedro Vite and he, for visa reasons and work permits and mm-hmm. every reason under the sun, he didn't play at all last year. And they still view him as a new signing. Mm-hmm. And so some people were saying, that, you know, January Bikel's leaving. How are you going to replace him? And then everyone, you know, the a lot of people within the front office are saying, our replacements are there. They just haven't really played with the Whitecaps yet. And so I I like what you say about Michael Baldissimo. I brought this up a little bit last year and the, the old, like he's, I think something that has really surprised me about Baldissimo is his defensive urgency. I think you you see him, how energetic he is uh, retreating and getting back goal sides and, kind of shuttling players out towards uh, the flanks and everything to be dealt with by, you know, like Nowinski or Brown or Gutierrez. And that's something that we've kind of seen him progress more and more of, because like you said, everyone knows how good he is on the ball. And I quite, you know, I almost view Baldissimo in the same way that the way you look at Owusu in that sort of, he's very good at shuttling the ball. I think that obviously, almost the biggest drawback from Baldissimo's game is his, his size and his physicality, just because I, I don't know exactly how tall he is, but I know he's one of the smaller players on the team and physicality wise, I'm sure he's strong, but when you're going up and especially in that sort of holding mid slash center mid roles, you're going up against, you know, some real workhorses, some big, tall, strong guys. And as much as we love Baldissimo, I'm not sure how he would cope. I think if there'd be a way to kind of, almost put him in that role that uh, Tybert had as that sort of free roaming. If he gets the ball, he can progress it and he just tracks back on defense and he's an extra man defensively. Um, but I'm not quite sure how, 
at least right away, unless there's an injury or someone else is sold from the team. I can't see a way where Baldissimo gets an increase in minutes this season. See, and that's where I agree with you because I think if Vanny Sartini really, really not only trusted him, but saw the qualities in him, right? And this is the thing with Sartini. When he came in, he saw every single player as having some sort of role in the team based on one or two very outstanding strengths that they had, and he used that to his advantage. Valdissimo absolutely has one or two very outstanding strengths, Mm -hmm. but it's then how do you fit him into that team? And I still believe that as an eight, there are certain things that I do like about him. I don't necessarily think he's the quickest player in in terms of Mm -hmm. just overall agility and and, and acceleration. Whereas you can never doubt Russell Tybert's, you know, physical attributes when it comes to his strength, when it comes to his speed, when it comes to how hard he works off the ball. Baldissimo was more... Um, engaged defensively this year when you look at the numbers. Now, a little bit of a of a discrepancy when it comes to, you know, obviously this is under Sartini and Dos Santos, whereas the previous year was just under Dos Santos. Um, but, you know, you look at things like his deep progressions, any carry or pass into the final third or the penalty area, I believe that was up a slight tick. Um, tackles and interceptions were both up a slight tick. The success rate, however, was down, which makes me wonder, is he just not picking his spots more? Or did he feel like maybe because he was playing under a new coach that he almost had to play a little more aggressively and therefore left himself in the lurch a little more, which to me might be the answer. Cause there were certainly times when I'm thinking you don't have to play that aggressively, Michael, you can just kind of wait yeah. to pick your spot, anticipate, and then go in with the interceptions. Cause he is pretty decent defensively. It's he just, mm-hmm. it's just making sure that, that he picks his spot right. I can see Josh is talking, but his he's microphone's on mute. <laughs> yeah, sorry, uh, he's, very, he's very rash as a defender when he's trying to defend. And I think that a downfall for him was when we saw the tactical change when Vanny Sartini came in because the, the tactical formation that Mark DeSantis was playing was very formidable for what he was trying to do and what he's able to do as a player but when he's going to sit in that that number eight that box to box and he's got to really worry about the defending i don't think that he's fast enough i don't think that he can cover the ground Mm -hmm. and i think that he gets himself in frustrating positions yeah and he's he's taking fouls and and, you know we're kind of seeing it so it's going to be curious to see how he shows up for the Vancouver Whitecaps this year, because I, I think that they have a lot of other options. And I mean, people hate him. Rusty, he doesn't like me. I, I made a joke about his truck <laughs> one time and I swear it's been like three years. Rusty, I'm sorry. I love I'm- your truck. Please answer my questions without like more than one word answers. <laughs> I think that Rusty's going to be a, uh, uh, a main staple for Vanny Sartini's uh, starting 11 this year. 
at this point, he very well could be, um, especially because we don't know what Alessandra's fitness is going to be like. And him and Owusu have chemistry now. So certainly to start the season, he will be. And again, to Tybert's credit, I have been a critic of his. Um, but after the coaching change, he was a lot more engaged in the final third. And he was taking more risks in the final third. And it did pay off a lot of the time. Um, so to his credit, he has actually proven that he can be at, at the very, very least, a solid rotational option. Do you want him to be your everyday starter? Probably not. But as a guy off your bench or just kind of rotating in and out of the team, more than solid option. Um, so at least you have that going for you. One last thing on Baldissimo, maybe before we put it to bed, um, <laughs> unless you guys want to keep talking about it, I'm, I totally can. <laughs> I am here for Baldissimo propaganda all the time. Um, after the positional change, he actually did commit more fouls and you saw him attempting more tackles in the middle third of the pitch, which is no surprise given that he was playing more advanced, but he was losing more of them than usual. Whereas last year he did win more tackles, but they, most of his tackles attempted were in the defensive third when he was playing as that deep lying playmaker where I think his best position is. And, and so spr And spraying it out and being exactly. able to, to get that first pass and yep. spraying it out quickly yep. and at getting that attack and thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, we... I don't think I have any more Michael Baldismo questions. Ben, do you? I think I think I'm out. Um, yeah, I want his I brother have... just signed a contract extension. It's not really a question. True. It's just some. It's just something I saw on Twitter. That's about yep. it. <laughs> yeah, That's all yeah, I can contribute there. Good for Pacific FC. They're able to you know re-sign some of their players. Um, yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and staff. I needed it. And yeah. <laughs> uh, I I want to get into some fun stuff with Peter. Uh, does some great work for for Sportsnet for his podcast for and pretty much everywhere. Like if you if you cover football and you're turning on and you're listening to to football podcasts or football related info, you're probably hearing from Peter. Um, and not me and Josh. <laughs> oh, you guys need to give yourself more credit. Come on. <laughs> I, I actually want to. I'm just gonna give myself a little credit, but I'll. Oh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll I don't. I don't. I don't right. give Josh any credit. Josh. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll scoop in after that. Um, so uh, I have some. I have some fun stuff I want to ask you, Peter. How how many World Cup games are Canada gonna win? That is a good question. Um, keep in mind at seven, including the final, to go all the way. Keep yes, that in mind. yes, I, I shall, <laughs> because we need to keep that in mind now based on the way the team is going. My God. Yes. Um, it's funny we say that, though, because there is, and I'm not saying Canada's going to do this, but eh, stranger things if have they happened. Get draw, if they get draw to, drawn to that top pool. Oh. Yeah, nah. yeah. <laughs> and, and see, that's the key. There is a team... In most World Cups, if you look at the top four finishers, there's always one anomaly in that group, a team that you kind of see come out of nowhere and just go on this run. Um, because in the knockout stages, you know, if you just grind it out defensively and then maybe force penalties, who knows what can happen, right? Mm -hmm. um, so maybe Canada ends up doing that. To answer the question, if they can get out of pot four, boost the world ranking, get out of pot four, get into pot three, um, I'm going to say they win one, draw one, lose one, but get to the round of 16. There's a bit of a bold prediction. Okay. Oh, I absolutely love it. Um, <laughs> MLS Cup predictions. Who's, who are we going to see in the MLS Cup this year? 
I think in the West, I am quite confident, especially now that they've addressed one of their problem areas, I think LAFC can actually do it. If they just get average goalkeeping out of Maxime Crepeau, and keep in mind, he's performed well above average the last couple of years. If they just get average goalkeeping from Crepeau, which would be an absolutely disastrous year by his standards, they can actually make a run here because that has been one of their issues since they've entered the league is just getting consistent goalkeeping. So I think it's them out of the West. In terms of the East, I feel like that is just so balanced because so many teams are making changes. Obviously, Toronto FC chief amongst them. I don't think they're going to do it because I just think there are so many moving parts. And when you have that much wholesale change, it almost never directly leads to you making that kind of a run in that first season. Um, I really like Philadelphia as a team. I think they make some really shrewd moves. I think a lot of people almost overlook them because they're not sexy moves. Um, but they have a culture there. They, they, they have a really good analytics department. They find these diamonds in the rough and yes, they might've lost one or two pretty decent players, but they've already kind of replaced them. So I'm going to say Philadelphia out of the East and that'll be the final matchup in terms of who wins probably LAFC will be favored, but I'm, I'm a big fan of what Philadelphia does. Peter, I don't know if you're trying to trigger uh, the Whitecaps fans listening here, because if Max Cripo and Mark DeSantos go on and win an MLS Cup, what like I, I, that would that would be the the be all end all for the the Vancouver the Vancouver Whitecaps. That, it would just be classic Vancouver sports, though, would it not? That would be like the doomsday scenario if that actually were to go. I think people, you know would be rooting for Max Grippo, but I think if Mark DeSantos were to be seen lifting an MLS cup after the way things went down here in Vancouver, I think just hell would break it loose. Might. <laughs> it might. But you know what, Mark, in my occasional dealings with him, super nice guy. Oh, um, absolutely. Very smart guy, very insightful guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it obviously as professionals, you know, you, you, you obviously have to cover things on the straight and narrow, but you never want to see someone lose their job, right? No. And I, I think the fact that he's landed on his feet, gone back to LAFC, and if he wins an MLS Cup, good for him because my interactions with him have been nothing but but great. I absolutely love Mark, and I think that one of the things that stood out for me with him was even when he first came to the Whitecaps and I was watching the team from a fan perspective and then started covering the team a couple, you know, a couple of years ago, was just his his passion for doing things the way that he wanted, regardless of, of what anyone else wanted. He's like, no, I'm I'm gonna do things on my own accord. And if again, yeah, like if him and Max win an MLS title for LAFC, I know this is you know a very strictly Vancouver Whitecap podcast. <laughs> uh I, I don't think that I would be complaining too hard. Like I, I wasn't sad about the move or anything like that. We, we mentioned it last week and I just was like, good for Max. You know, mm-hmm. it, Oh no, Max! I I I I would be happy to see Max. Yeah. You know, we don't know what the personal situation is. He did come out and say that both him, his wife, and his newborn daughter—they're all healthy. So that's you know that's that, that exact and that's something that I think a lot of people are thinking may have been the situation. Mm-hmm. So he did come out and kind of clear the air around that. And so for Max, I'd love to see him go on and succeed. Uh, I think just the way that the Mark DeSantos era ended. Uh, especially, and you know, obviously, and I, I, I said this uh, when it all went down that, you know, 
he did have a lot of hurdles to, to clear with playing in Portland, playing in Salt Lake, unable to bring in the number 10 for a long period of time. There was, you know, he was uh, up until the last season, he was like the head scout as well, or the put, you know, in yeah. charge of this. There was, a, you know, yeah. I, 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 he did have a lot uh, yes. going on. And I don't think, you know, if there was no COVID and everything was a bit more level playing field, I think at the very least he finished that third season. Um but I just think, just knowing the way that the Vancouver Whitecaps Twitter spear works, I just think that if Mark DeSantos were to be seen hoisting an MLS Cup and it's not with Vancouver, I just think that it would be, oh my gosh. Would be interesting. <laughs> interesting, to say the least. Absolutely. Yeah. Peter, I think that may be all the time that we have. Um, I don't know, Josh, you you're, you still going, Josh? Or? I I don't want to. I don't want to cut you off. I don't want to cut you off. I'm... <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll let you pull the outro. I I was talking okay. to our boss earlier today mm-hmm. about the best left back in the world, and I and I said it's Sam gonna... Atakubi. Hold <laughs> <laughs> on, oh, that's good. <laughs> well, no, and I said it's clear, it's it's no, it's clearly Alfonso Davies, and he. And he, he He's an American, obviously, so he threw out Robertson. And he, we oh had about God. a 30 minute <laughs> debate about, you know, who the best left back was. Um, I know he's going to have to listen to it because it's contractually obligated. Peter, can you tell him why he's absolutely crazy and why Alfonso <laughs> Davies is the best left back in the world? I have to think he's trolling you because. And then- <laughs> I mean, a, a logical explanation, I don't think it, that there can be one to, to justify Anthony Robinson over Alfonso Davies. Um, Davies, look, Anthony Robinson is a fine player. He's a fine left back, okay? Like, he actually has made some pretty decent improvements. AC Milan was linked to him a couple years ago. He still does have potential. But Alfonso Davies is a, a, is a unicorn as a left back. You've never seen his, I mean, I guess we have in in, in some generations, but certainly in this one, there's no other left back like him with his complete skill set, with his attacking instincts. Um, If you want to do yourself a favor and and go to fbref.com, search for Alfonso Davies, look at his progressive passes and his progressive carries, combine that. He's got like 20 deep progressions per 90 minutes, which is frankly ridiculous for any player, whether they're an attacking midfielder, a fullback, what have you. That alone goes to show you just how lethal he is going forward. Defensively, even if he makes a mistake, which is going to happen, he's like the freaking roadrunner. He's going to get back, make the vital defensive recovery and and, and get there. Um, Anthony Robinson Compared to Alfonso Davies, there just is no comparison. Davies is, is by far and away clear. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> thank you so much, Ben. That's all. That's all, all right. I have. Well, I'll thank you. To, I'll send it to Rado. Close out the show. There we go. Peter, that is going to be uh, do it for our time here today on episode 60. Thank you again, uh, as we appreciate you coming on. And, you know, with or without Thomas, we greatly enjoyed what you brought to the, the table here, even if it's slightly less round than we may have originally hoped. But so be it. We appreciate every, you know, the Canadian chat and, you know, maybe down the line, 
hopefully once we get that 99.8% to 100%, maybe down the road, we'll have you back on again to talk a bit more, you know, Canadian or MLS as well, because we we can clearly see how well-rounded you are. I heard well, appreciate it, guys. In soccer anyway. Yes, <laughs> I do appreciate it, guys. Uh, and yes, let's hope that the triangle table turns into an actual round table this time. <laughs> Absolutely right. Me and Josh will be right back with the rest of episode 60. Peter Galindo, ladies and gentlemen, that's the second time on the show. Always fun chatting with him. Uh, yeah, no, lots of good stuff covered there. We talked all about the Canadian team, uh, obviously the, the, the Whitecaps goaltending situation, talked some midfield situation. Um, so yeah, Peter Galindo, absolutely will be looking to have him back on in the future. Ben, are people going to think we're a little bit biased if we get Peter on every single week to chat football? Because I swear I could have chatted for another hour, two hours with him. We, I, I think we maybe even, like, I want to say scratch the surface, but I, I don't even think we did that with, with Peter about the Canada it's... men's national team and, and the Whitecaps in general. There's so much meat on the bones surrounding the entire Canadian soccer scene right now. We really, you said it, Josh, we could have gone for another two hours, but this is already our third Zoom call of the day. So we figured we'd get a move on at some point and we'll, we'll, save the, uh, we'll save the rest for the next time we have Peter on. And it's not like Peter has his own podcast or anything with a, a different co-host who was supposed to be on and for reasons that we don't know, did not. Thomas Neff. Um, <laughs> but yes, no, we'll, um, we'll dig into uh, what is left of the Whitecaps training camp, what's gone on this past week. Uh, the only real newsworthy uh, stuff coming out of training camp, Theo Bear, beloved backup Whitecaps striker, one of coming oh. through the academy and really in that wave of youngsters to come through the Whitecaps system, on his way to Scotland. That was a horrible Scottish accent, considering I'm English. Um, <laughs> he's on his probably, it was probably a little bit better than I could do, because my Scottish accent... Go for horrible. it. Go, what's, what's the name of the team that he's gone to, Josh, in a Scottish accent? Uh, I'm not even going to do it. It's going to go uh, like okay, Scottish okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Saint, oh, nah, uh, I, need to like, you know, I need to like hear a Scottish accent, and then I can do it. St. Johnston. St. Johnston. St. Johnston. He's going to St. Johnston. You got to almost hear it. There you go. That's not bad. See, like, I'm, 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 there you I, go. I, no, I, okay. I that, like, shout out okay. to Michael McCall, but I'm just, I'm basically trying to channel my, like, Michael McCall. Like, well, just, Ooh. I had some digestive biscuits. There you go. Uh, then I just want to ask <laughs> you about, you know, Theo Barris transfer. That's really not too, the the ends maybe got away from you, but for the most part, yeah, that was pretty yeah, good. You see the end? Yeah, I, I blend I blend my European accent. Yeah, that's fine. It's not even part of the, the EU anymore. It doesn't count. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started. Anyway, Theo Bear going to St. Let's focus on the footy. Yeah. St. Johnstone, he's off to Scotland on a permanent transfer. Obviously, he wasn't with the squad last year. He was in ha- in Norway with Hamcam. Uh, but yeah, no, really something that I think caught a lot of people off guard. I think when given how I think well we saw that Theo Bear progressed in Norway, I think a lot of people expecting him to be a, a first off the bench kind of option this year. Uh, he worked with Vanny very closely when he was the director of methodology. Um, yeah, I think the permanent transfer over to Scotland 
real, you know, I think even him leaving the team would have been a surprise, whether it was a loan or a, uh, a, a permanent, but yeah, he's going to Scotland and, you know, at least for the time being, he's not coming back. He's not coming back. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was, that was pretty good. That was that was my right. call right there. Michael, we're so sorry. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to say that because I was so excited for Theo Bear going into the 2021 season. He did so much off the pitch. He spent so much time working on himself, on his game, on getting bigger, getting stronger. I had him on the unnamed sports show here on the sports talk line network. And he, he mentioned things about like, he, he needed to change his game. He, he realized that he wasn't eating right. and wasn't doing the, the proper things. And when that loan to ham camp came, I, I really thought that what he was doing in the Norwegian league was going to show that the Vancouver Whitecaps, what he had, mm-hmm. you know, like the, what he developed. Yeah, what he developed. And one of the players that was, like, sending Golaza goals against Portland. <laughs> like, I got to watch that goal a lot. I was really? down in Portland and watched that goal. And That's... I was like, okay, this guy is going to be a a striker with the Vancouver Whitecaps. And he just – he never seemed to blossom into that. And I don't know if it's maybe – uh, reluctancy of the coaching staff. It wasn't a good fit. But mm. I don't want to think that it was anything that on the pitch that Theo Bear did. No. Because I know that his training regimen and what he's done and, and tried to push himself to do mm. has been top-notch. Like, he, he wants to compete. And he knew yeah. last year that even in the beginning of the season before he was loaned out, that mm. if he showed up, he was going to get the net. Uh, so we brought this up, and I think it was the first episode back uh, two weeks ago now, where I brought up the point that a big thing that Mark DeSantos really wanted to emphasize with this club was developing uh, the young Canadian players. And, and we saw that with Theo. We saw that with Theo, and uh, we saw that with Thomas Assal, and you know we mentioned Michael, Michael Baldissimo, Bobissimo. right, just with Peter Galindo. Cameron, Hal- Cameron Pat- Halabuba. Yeah. Cameron Patrick who? Metcalf. <laughs> so, Pat, you know, and then we're looking Patrick Metcalf, no longer with the team. Uh, we're looking at uh, Max Capot, no longer. With, I know, obviously, he's not necessarily young Canadian talent, and there was a lot more going on behind the scenes. Theo Bayer, no longer with the team. And uh, uh, I just, you know, Michael Baldissimo, we said we're not sure how many minutes he's going to be able to get this year. Thomas Assal, the team's looking for another keeper, whether that's a number one or you know, whatever. So, you know, we, we mentioned that this was an identity that Mark DeSantos wanted to put in place. And I'm not sure if Vanny Sartini isn't completely aligned with that, or if he just believes that there's something bigger out there for Theo that the club can't offer him right now. Um, but you can really sort of notice the changing of the guard. And these, these are the sorts of transfers where Vanny Sartini is putting his staple on the team. Because realistically, the only player they've brought in under his watch was Tristan Blackman in the offseason, apart from like the draft yeah. and whatever else, because Caio and Pedro and Ryan Gold are all under the Mark DeSantos regime. So even though 
he hasn't brought all too many players in and he feels like there isn't a need to. These are these are the first real serious managerial moves that we're starting to see differ from Vanni Sartini to previously Mark DeSantos. Yeah, but Ben, you know, I think you mentioned it perfectly when we were talking to Peter Galindo uh, from Sportsnet and Northern Football just a little bit earlier in the show here about how it's, it's, it's such a change now, right? Like yeah. before it was Mark DeSantos doing all the scouting and doing all of those things, looking for the players. Now the, you know, the Whitecaps front office has the likes of Axel Schuster as the CEO and sporting director. It has Nicholas Overhaul as uh, a scout and he's scouring the globe with, you know, a team of two, two or three other people that are doing mm-hmm. a great job finding diamonds in the rough i would say in the you know the south american league and things like that and i think that's kind of the the slight change that we were seeing yeah. now as opposed to maybe a couple of years ago in the mark de santos era where vanny sarkini can just worry about coaching he can just mm. worry about finding the best tactics for the team we yeah. might not have thought it would have been a three in the back formation yeah. But that seems like what he likes. That seems like what might work is a three, four, one, two. That seems like what he likes. I didn't think that was going to be good, but it worked. He knows. It works. And the rest of the front office staff has taken the responsibility on themselves to populate the White Caps roster with players who can make a difference. That that's a, a really good point. I'm really glad you brought that up, Josh. Mark DeSantos, he had to scout. He, you know, he, yeah. when he joined, there was no Axel Schuster. Uh, there, there was no sporting director. It was still the the president role of uh, Leonard Doozy. There, there, there was such a, a disconnect, and there was they were missing that middle step. Those, the, they just needed. You mentioned uh, populating the Whitecaps roster. The Whitecaps need to populate their front office and kind of revamp it. And that's what they did when they brought in Axel Schuster and the name of the uh, the former sporting director who you had on your show, whose name is escaping me. Um, they brought him in and at the same oh, time. Uh, Mark Panis. Mark Panis, that's it. Um, you know, they 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 brought in the overhaul as well to be a scout. They gave Mark. De, they said gave. They almost, in a sense, took away the the keys to the office from Mark DeSanto. Said, "Go out there ben, and you." Ben, coach. sorry, is, there, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think no. I think they're they're two different things. Like what they did with Mark Panis was mm-hmm. kind of a look in in one direction, and they mm-hmm. realized that may that, not be the correct direction they needed to go mm-hmm. and then instead instead decided to replace a, a, a amazing voice in the front yeah. office like he did amazing things like yeah, I, i'm the, very big yeah. into the supporters groups i talk a lot with them they were telling mm-hmm. me amazing i watched this guy walk into a bar in vancouver by supporters people beers and then walk down the street in his suit to yeah. bc place but they realized that that wasn't necessarily the direction that the Whitecaps were at at the moment or the direction they needed. Mm-hmm. Maybe three or four years down the line, yeah. Mark Panas is selling a championship-winning team. Yeah. But for now, you need to invest uh, on the infrastructure. Yeah, and and you mentioned uh, just before that, you know, uh, Marcus Sander, there was a lot on his plate and there was a lot of kind of 
back and forth uh, that there was almost a lot kind of lost in translation a little bit uh, oh, in the yeah. market. And, you know, we, and we looked at training camp just like two, three weeks ago. Uh, somebody, uh, I think it was Har asked Vanny, are you expecting to bring any more players in? He's like, I don't know. Ask the, ask Axel. Yeah. Ask the front. He, cause he, he says that I, I coach the team that is given in front of me. I go out there to UBC and I coach. They're the ones that bring in the players that manage the players that I, I'm just telling them how I want them to play football. And I, I really like that because Vanny can focus on that. And Vanny, you know, I'm not sure how much, you know, expertise Vanny would have had in in scouting and how much that would have taken away from his coaching so seeing that sort of shift in power from the Mark DeSantos pre-Axel Schuster era to where we are now with Vanny coaching the team and every single step of the process there is one or two or more people there to really deliver a good job and to get feedback and it has to pass all the way through the system and I think that's you know we can really start to see that and so these choices that Vanny Sartini and maybe not necessarily Sartini but the Whitecaps front office is making I don't think that they like if Mark DeSantos is here right now I'm not sure if they let go of Theo Bear. No, and, and Ben, I, I don't think they'll be afraid. No, they won't be afraid. Oh, I, stand, I won't. Stand by, by their office decisions. Oh. And it's just, it, it's refreshing. It's yeah. really refreshing that they've actually structured things properly. Mm-hmm. Manny Sartini can coach the team. He, and, and man, can he coach the team? We've seen what he we've seen what he's done in three four months of just coaching the team, and he has coached the hell out of that team. Like we we haven't even like we've been so bamboozled with off season moves <laughs> with you know Max Capo being shipped off to LAFC. We haven't talked about the excitement that me and Ben both probably have. Yeah. Or what we're going to see this season with the Vancouver Whitecaps. It's February, Josh. They play this month. Yes. In less than four weeks, the Whitecaps will be playing competitive MLS regular season matches on the back of an incredible stint of how they finish off the season with limited roster movement, with uh, a fan base that, especially with the success of the Canadian national team, has rejuvenated soccer support in this city. Because it was it, it was getting to a point in uh, the early Mark DeSantos, end of Carl Robinson days, where there was just such a disconnect between the fans and the Vancouver Whitecaps. And you're getting, you know, t- people are bandwagoning the Vancouver Whitecaps. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Who bandwagons a Vancouver-based sports team? And people are doing it. People are falling in love with how fun and how colorful and energetic this Vancouver Whitecaps team is. It's a breath of fresh air for the MLS. It's a breath of fresh air for the city because you've seen it with the Vancouver Canucks, negative results, people turning on management, people turning on coaches. And for a while, we were getting there with the Vancouver Whitecaps and Mark DeSantos. But fresh air has come in. They've brought in a couple of superstars. They're developing young, successful players that are going on and benefiting the national team. It's all coming together. And it's it's really something exciting uh, going on in the city right now. And a lot of that is stemming from the success and how excited people are for the future success of this club. And it just stems to what we're going to do here on the 90 plus podcast, all of the 2022 yep. Vancouver Whitecaps season. And we're going to 
maybe throw on a little bit of uh, Canadian men's national team flair into that as they continue to impress on and off the pitch. It's, you know, it's great. There's so many storylines I'm looking forward to. Ben, I'm I'm so excited. Yeah. We're we're three episodes in. Um, yeah. <laughs> you guys are on the the sixtieth episode of we are. the ninety plus podcast, and uh, I think that people are going to be absolutely thrilled to watch and follow the Vancouver Whitecaps this year. Absolutely, and I think with that, that is going to wrap up our sixtieth episode. That's a little milestone in itself. Um, but yes, no, we will be back next week. Uh, the team will be down in San Diego. Um, off the top of my head, I'm not sure when their first preseason game is, um, but we will figure that out. And we will be very active on Twitter once you do find that out at Rigetti Ben, at Joshua Griffith Zero, and at 90 Plus Podcast. That's where you can find us on social media. But I believe that is going to be all that we have. Thank you very much to Peter Galindo of Sportsnet and Northern Football coming on uh, earlier and chatting with us. And we had a, a really great chat even off air for an extra 45 minutes or so with him just talking uh, all about the game. Josh, as always, thank you for sticking with me. I know it's been, <laughs> it's been somewhat of a long day. This is our third it's Zoom call. Fan, but it's been absolutely fantastic. It's been a lot of fun and the season is only getting started and the content is Man. only going to get better. Oh, I Ben, I am so excited. Again, I'm so happy that by you the, brought me on board for the 90 the, plus yeah. podcast. By yeah. the time we record, Canada may even be in the World Cup and we don't even know about the white caps that's like <laughs> i can't even do a bold prediction with the white caps because what is too bold for them <laughs> what is what is bold and what is just the ordinary for this team <laughs> yeah so i got i, no. I got, I got yeah, nothing no. man I'm, yeah I'm, no i'm sorry like people people can't see me because this is a podcast so my my all smiles though, talking uh, <laughs> football with Peter Galindo for two hours yeah. and, and chatting be- with Ben for another hour about uh, the Whitecaps is kind of shining through here a little bit. Absolutely. Well, we will be back next week for all more Whitecap talk. Maybe we'll brush up on the Canada situation, see if how they do. For us, it's tomorrow. For you guys, it may be today or yesterday. They play El Salvador on Wednesday. We will be back midweek. Uh, myself, Ben Ruggetti, and Joshua Griffith ending episode 60 of the 90 Plus Podcast. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the 90 Plus Podcast, part of the Sports Talk Line Network.